Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host today, Stephen Ebers. Today we are joined by a very special guest, and that is Matt Jackson. Matt Jackson has a high pedigree for shooting mature bucks, and he is a wealth of knowledge in the whitetail woods. We barely begin to scratch the surface of his whitetail knowledge in this podcast, but what we do talk about today is his early season whitetail tactics. I'm very excited for you guys to get to hear this podcast, and um, it's definitely been a highly anticipated one to get going. Not only that, uh, I would also recommend you guys grab a pen and paper for this one. It's a loaded podcast full of a lot of good information, and I hope you guys enjoy. Well, Matt, the uh, temperatures are cooling, the corn's yellowing, beans are reaching their peak, they're yellowing a little bit too. And the acorns are dropping. Seems like the deer season is coming right around the corner here. And I don't know, are you fired up? Well, I tell you what, Stephen, today uh, in itself, it was like the first day. It was super foggy, which I, I don't much care to hunt in too big a fog. You know, and if you're archery hunting, I guess it's not that bad. But it was cool. Uh, I wore a long sleeve shirt, you know, first mm-hmm. time. So. Definitely thought of deer season. Damn. Yeah, well, I don't know about you, but I find it pretty fitting that uh, we're cruising, cruising gravels five days before the season opens, oh, looking for big bucks in fields, trying to keep an eye on, on deer, you know, making sure that they're ready for us in the early season. Right, right. Well, I know I'm definitely fired up. I know that, uh, you know, we've shared some pictures with one another and we both got some pretty good bucks on camera you know now that doesn't mean that <laughs> it obviously doesn't mean we'll get an arrow in any of them but oh yeah we'll, we'll darn a lot of people try. got good bucks and cameras you know that's right but uh so you know before we get into too much let's uh let's take it back a little bit why don't you tell us a little bit about matt and uh how you got involved in hunting, uh, who helped you get into hunting, and then how you progressed as a hunter. Okay, well, I can tell you uh, from a very early age, you know, from before I was old enough to go, uh, I would see my grandpa and my dad, you know, get their hunting stuff and go out hunting, you know, and I had to stay home with the women folk, you know, and they were doing women folk things, you know, and all I could think about was when they were going to get back and what kind of game they were bringing back uh, until I was big enough to get to go. And then, of course, so my grandfather and and my dad, I guess, uh, you know, got me into hunting. Funny enough, neither one of them archery hunted, which, you know, turned out to be my passion. Uh, But I I was fortunate enough that uh, I lived in the country you know, outside of a small town in mid-Missouri. And there was an older gentleman lived down the road. Uh, he was, and when I say older gentleman, I was probably 11 or 12, you know, riding my bike down this gravel road. And I see this guy shooting these straw bales, you know, with this bow through these cedar trees. He had a really cool house too, you know, and deer right, come right down in the yard. I mean, I still go out there to this day. Sounds nice. It, it was a really nice place, but it intrigued me. I, I knew I wanted, you know, somehow, how do I get down there and introduce myself to this old guy, right? But uh, as it would be, you know, I, I found a way to get that done uh, through 
coon hunting and I had coon dogs, he had coon dogs. And I was lucky enough that this gentleman was left-handed and uh, so I was able to shoot one of his old bows and he helped get me started. Uh, he's, he's since passed away, but uh, you know, this, this was one of those guys that, you know, if you saw him out in public or, you know, somewhere you would never guess that he had a wall full of, you know, big bucks, but he had, he had more than one wall. He you taught know. you a lot, huh? Yeah, he did. He was very knowledgeable, you know, and, and it was stuff that, you know, to me now is just second nature, but then I was young and dumb and didn't think about, you know, didn't even worry about the wind direction or, you know, any of that stuff when I was just starting out. You just you just want to go out there and shoot something, and you think it's going to be that easy. You get that close to them. Never once thought about them smelling me or anything. I mean, that's how young I was. Yeah. But, uh, so, um, how how did you progress as a bow hunter? You well, know? you know, right there in the country where I was at, I, I was fortunate enough that there was a couple hundred acres right out my back door, prime time, big buck country, and. Uh, the people that owned it, there was a kid my same age, and uh, we he went to a different school than I did all through junior high, so we were competitors, but we were good friends. You know, we played basketball against each other, and, and uh, you know, we found out each other that we lived close to one another. He was just going to a, a private Catholic school, and we became friends, and, and I was able to hunt that property with him. He also got into the archery, you know, through me, and, and he's still doing it to this day. He's one of my, my best friends. and uh, That's really cool. Yeah. You guys were able to... Well, that competitive stuff, it went right on into the archery, you know. You guys got a little competitive, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this guy, he just brought it out in you, you know. And, uh, yeah. You know, we wanted to beat each other to the punch, obviously, and, and you know, first one that get a deer down you know it was going to be great and then obviously the first one that would kill one that had horns uh, if you're lucky enough there's one in the same that was one thing but that's not how it turned out he actually beat me on both things he, he killed oh man oh i know it was, it was hard on the old ego but yeah. you know it just drove me you know to bigger and better things in the long run i mean absolutely motivation yeah i mean and i'm gonna be i'm gonna tell you when you're archery hunting if you can't accept some failure or some defeat, you probably better just not even get into it to begin with because it's not always that forgiving, you know. I mean, it could be the slightest thing from the creek of a deer stand to, you know, something you didn't do right with your no scent and, you know, your preparations to this buck coming out of the middle of nowhere where he's not supposed to, you know. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So, um, besides your actual knowledge of deer um, and, and how you progressed, and what what's what helped you what tool helped you kind of start con consistently shooting more deer well i i almost know what you're searching for with that with that question and i will say it's probably no sense soup but i'll tell you it was a little before that actually uh you know i gained that knowledge of wind direction and a little more knowledge of deer and and when i was about 14, I was a little, I was, I was 14, and uh, I, I had a great hunting experience, but it was also a very uh, depressing hunting experience, you know, for a young guy, and uh, I, I shot my quiver of arrows at these bucks that were rutting behind a doe, and they kept chasing this doe by me, and they would run around this big brush pile that wasn't 20 yards from me, intentionally 20 yards from me, so that 
it pinched them to me and but they I would grunt and I at the end I was hollering and whistling for them to stop so I could get a shot at them standing and I didn't know any better than to try to shoot them running you know I just and uh, needless to say I lost it, all the arrows so I had to go to new arrows and I, I went to the first carbon arrows uh, that were on the market. They were, they were, I think, beaming arrows. They had outserts, you know. And this was, you know, 25, 30 years. I didn't think about it. It was a long time ago, 35 years ago, you know. Um, so A lot of time's passed since then. It has. It has. But they really did help me. I, I also went to a single pin sight on my bow. And back then they had a thing uh, called an overdraw. I put an overdraw on my bow. Uh, which allowed me to shoot a little shorter arrows. Those beamons were lighter as it was, and they had... Uh, so a little bit of technology yeah, played into it, too, a little bit more it technology. Did. I, I picked up a few feet per second uh, because that was the thing. I always teased that I could shoot an arrow, and then if I didn't like the way it looked like it was flying in flight, I would run down there real fast and move the target in front of the arrow, you know? <laughs> and finally, my dad got sick of hearing that, and... You know, he with all that new stuff I'm telling you about those arrows, he also, for my 15th birthday, bought me a new bow. And so the feet per second, you know, came with the new better bow. Um, the arrows, I went to the single pin, you know, for less confusion on which green pin to put on them at what yards. You know, I just, it helped me focus a little bit. Okay. Uh, and started killing deer immediately, you know. Um, had success. But now the success with big bucks that that would be the no sense undoubtedly uh, okay and hands down how, i mean what what evidence would you would you give to to say that the scent no scent was working well okay well i'll, I'll just or how it works for you i'll tell you what i'll do and, and before i get into all, I'll, I'll tell you my first experience with it what sold me on the suit and this was when the suits first came out and you know anybody that was around hunting at that time knows that they were like winter clothing Pretty i mean heavy. they were like heavy duty winter clothing they were bulky they were heavy uh and they were very very warm and our early season around here you know it it can be fairly warm so oh, yeah. you know it, it makes you sweat and, and all that they've since come a long way and, and and to me it's gotten as good if not better but on that particular hunt uh, you know, I didn't own a no sense suit. They were, they just came out right before that season. Um, I wanted one, but they cost a lot of money, and I didn't know whether or not I could buy into whether or not something could really fool that, you know, cover up the human scent where a deer couldn't smell you. I just, I was having a hard time with them. I mean, I'd walked in cow poop and done all kinds of stuff with heads, balls in my clothes, and, uh, you know, Anything to get Anything that Anything and everything to try to, you know, help me. And so I wasn't sold on, but I had a really good friend of mine, um, another one of my friends that I'm super competitive with, and great archer, has put some big bucks down. Uh, he sprung for it, and he was working a job uh, where he worked three days on, three days off, four days on, four days off. And uh, he hunted on his three days off, and, you know, he told me, he said, Jackson, this thing works. He said, I'm not kidding you. He said, it works. He said, I had deer. He said, I wore my rubber boots. I sensed it up. I did everything that they told me doing that I was supposed to do. And he said, I had deer cross my trail. I had does come out, get downwind of me. I had small bucks come out, get down. He said, just, you know, the, the right buck wasn't there for me. But if he had been, he wouldn't have smelled me. 
straight down wind. I'm telling you, it worked. So he sold you. Yeah, he did because I mean this guy's absolutely a man of his yeah, word. You trust you know? him. Oh yeah, yeah. We helped each other a lot. What what he saw, he relayed to me. What I saw, I relayed to him. You know, with deer activity and so on and so forth, we we helped each other learn through each other's experiences, and you know that anything, any knowledge I could get. You know what I'm saying? If you yeah. got a good friend who's spending that many hours in the wood, woods like you are. You know, and you get to share his experiences and what he's learned, it maybe move you along a little faster, you know. But, so I tried it. He, the guy told me I could try it, you know. He said, you know, I got to work for the next four days. He said, give it a shot. Well, I told him, I said, you know, I've been watching them bucks, man. And I just been, I've been waiting on an east wind, which is a rare wind for us. Uh, you know, I was thinking about... It's a pretty squirrely wind, too. Yeah. You don't like to stay too east. True. That, that's right, man. And I was thinking about trying to cheat it, you know. I mean, and that's not something that you want to do, especially in the early season, you know. You blow them out of there and, and educate them, and, and you're done with that buck probably for the year unless he messes up in the rut, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I wasn't... I was, I was doing everything right. I'd waited 17 days into the season when this opportunity occurred and I got a wind that was like you said it wasn't quite 100 percent out of the east but it was easterly a little southeastly and I thought I could do it you know I was going to be hanging a stand that night so I was going to adjust my position from where I originally thought I might you know be and I already had a location set up so once you know when you do that you're already probably stepping in the wrong direction for one because you know I did go in and you know, months ahead of time and trim the limbs and had a spot, uh, you know, all picked out. And now I'm going to abandon that spot, you know, for lack of getting the wind direction I want and worried that the bucks are going to make their October move. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many times I watch bucks all through the summer and into the early fall just to have bow season hit and all them bachelor groups break up and move out and, and go to their own prospective areas for, you know, the rest of the season are gone, you know. So it's like... Uh, I'm worried this yeah. is going to happen, so this no sense suit might be the answer to my problem, right? Right. And uh, it hopefully, was, it right? was. It actually was. I, I wore it, and uh, another thing, uh, you know, I I experienced another first. Uh, it was the first time I ever experienced a, a mini rut in the middle of October. You know, I just I I know most people probably haven't heard of it, and if they were to hear me talking now, may said, "Guys, on Mini rut. Yeah, so, listen, listen, this guy. He don't know what so he's talking about. What what day was it? What in October? It was October seventeenth. October seventeenth, and you were experiencing what you would call a mini rut. Yeah. So how would you? Well, describe I now that? know that that's exactly what it was. Okay. And I mean, at the time, I still knew, but I, I I had a hard time believing what my eyes were telling me. You know. Sure. I had these bucks chasing this doe all around. She was squatting and peeing and flagging and and. You know they were after her and when they locked up or pushed they meant business you know i mean it was a november mid-november banging going on yeah and i'm like what in the world and so I had she these, was hot then. yeah and so you know i had these bucks and the stove get down into me and i mean i knew there was two better bucks in the group and i knew they had to be somewhere and they sure enough were and uh, i saw them coming up the, and i thought you know I should take this bird in the hand. This buck ended up scoring 140 inches that I let walk by me. And at that time, that would have been the biggest buck I ever killed. And it actually scored 139 and like, you know, some change. 
but it had a broken main beam on its right side uh, to finish out. And I, I know the guy who shot it during rifle season and, and scored it. Had it taped and everything. Yeah, yeah you know, because it was the biggest buck I'd ever passed on. But I also shot the biggest buck I'd ever shot right after that because I let that buck walk downwind to me and had, had the confidence to do it because of what had been going on for the 10, 15 minutes previous to that. I, I'm sold on a no-sense suit, you know. I mean, I, I was sold that day, and I, when I got out of the stand that day, I, I you know, obviously uh, had shot this buck. I called my buddy. Uh, you know, we did a little celebrating, and uh, I went out the next day and bought a suit, man. I mean, yeah. it's that easy. And and from then on, it was. But you know, there's a lot of care that goes into that. You know. You, Absolutely. You know, I, I've got another buddy that thought it was going to be just as easy, and, and he went out and bought a suit. And uh, he, he called us, you know, like a month or so later, and he's like, man, this damn thing don't work. I said, what do you mean? He said, man, this thing's junk, man. Where'd y'all buy yours at? You know? <laughs> so I got the wrong brand, yeah, man. Yeah. I said, are you sure? It's, you know, he said, I'm positive. And I said, okay, so uh, he, he had a little play. He had a piece of property that he inherited, lucky dog, that he was about 300 acres of prime time hunting. Oh, my goodness. He's got a few siblings, you know, but, uh, you know, they share the hunting rights there, and, and uh, they've, they've got it set up just strictly for hunting, too. It's pretty awesome. Nice. Uh, nice. But, so he came down, and he invited us over, you know, to go hunting with him, you know. Yeah. So we're going to go out, and we can still shoot those, you know, and, and or rattle for him or call for him, whatever. And I don't, I really don't remember if we were going to be hunting or what, but we went over more or less just to BS with him and, and you know, maybe go hunting. Well, we saw how he, he, he came, he greeted us in his no sense suit. Oh. Uh, you know, when we pulled in and I thought, what the hell, you know, we must have caught him coming out of the cabin, you know, headed for the woods. I mean, he knew he's, hell no. He walks right up to the fire, you know, he, he's, he's drinking a beer, which I, you know, no problem with anybody drinking beer, but, you know. He, he, you know, I mean, I, w I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't smoke a cigarette in it and, or a cigar. He smoked cigars, you know. But, and then he just threw it in his back seat when he was done. And, you so, know, needless to say, he wasn't taking care of the suit. No, no, not okay. at all. You know, you got to do what you're supposed to do and take the precautions. You can't say it doesn't work. Yeah, you know? and you're, and from what I understand, you're, you're pretty strict about those precautions, you know. Mm. Um, how, how, detail do you get when it comes to being we, precaution? We, I don't want to go too far yeah, down this say, rabbit we hole. We really don't want to go down this hole. We'll say that. say that. You know, I never washed my own clothes in my life until that point. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm not trying to be a chauvinist or nothing here. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, my mom always washed them when I was young. And then my wife washed them, you know, when we got married. And that's just how it was. We've been together since we were 16, so we've been together for a long time. And Y'all have it figured out, you know. You do right. some things, she does some things. Yeah, well, then when the no sense suit came along, she, she no, 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 no. Oh. Yeah. Wasn't well, having that, huh? No, down to getting your own washer and dryer. You know, maybe we shouldn't even have the same washer and dryer type thing. Well, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do my own stuff, man, and, and you know, keep it keep it clean. And maybe we can, uh, maybe we can do a... Uh, a specific podcast to, That's to just how you do <laughs> your scent lock, and I think take. a lot of people would be interested in that. But uh, so the reason I had you come on today was because it's you know September 10th right now, the early season's coming, and I want I want our listeners to hear your strategies and your tactics to the early season and how and and how you approach 
trying to find a mature buck and, and taking one in the early season. So my first question is, is that, you know, back in the day, you know, 25 years ago, pre 20 years ago, pre-trail camera, how were you getting on these mature bucks? What were you doing? Um, kind of take us from the top here, you know, what, you know, well, from, it's kinda, from there. Kind of like what we were talking about. I, I was doing anything and everything I could to get any kind of knowledge I could about any big buck in the countryside, you know. I mean, there was no, like you said, trail cameras, so there was a lot of miles, you know, put down on the old Jeep uh, from, because I had properties and or that I had permission to hunt I didn't own but I had permission to hunt yeah. in different towns uh, you know so I was going from one to the other one to the other and doing a lot of glass I, needless to say I'll, I'll say that my wife would sometimes get aggravated with me because the yard mowing stopped the taking out the trash I mean all those th all, I, I was lacking on some duties at home sounds uh, like a good woman at that time of the year yeah she, sticking you know, with you well, you're lucky enough, Stephen, to uh, very soon be my son-in-law uh, and marrying my daughter. She grew up in that environment. Uh, it's paid dividends. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, she's been trained. She was like, you know, my wife used to say she's a bow hunter's widow, you know. Both seasons, she just, well, be a widow because, you know, I was gone. And But it was really before bow season over. And, it, and that's the first thing I would say to your question is, you know, if you haven't, you know, the first thing is, is, is obviously if, if you're lucky enough to have some property you can hunt before today, you know, five days away from the season. Yeah. Um, hopefully you have gotten in there late in the winter, you know, February type deal and, and trimmed some limbs, found some trails and all that. But I, I would say if you haven't been able to do that, don't don't fear because those tactics that you're asking me about with the trail camera, they those strategies work for you know when you're glassing you get out and find a deer now you ask me how what all did i do well i had my ear to the ground you know the feed store where the old men gather all the old farmers you know and they're sitting in there bsing on the weekends or you know a couple different days during the week i know what days they were and there's not just the feed store there's the cafe and there's the diner you know i'm going and listening yeah i'm going and listening to who saw what because you know i mean and keep in mind that some of these old timers like to like to BS and talk and and you know they say they saw you know, this, the bit. biggest bucket you know yeah. and and I would go and and no doubt they they did see this buck where they were saying sometimes I would go and I would find it you know with my binoculars and might take a day or two but if they said it was there a lot of times it was but I found out that their big buck was different than my big buck sure. you know uh, they they were calling you know two and a half three and a half year old bucks that that I would like to see get another year or two under their belt um, before I would, and I'm no better than the old man. He just, you know, he just was saying it's a big buck. Right, know, right. I mean, him. you'd seen some bucks at that age. You probably even shot some bucks at that age, and yeah, just, at, at that point in your hunting career, you right, were, right. The, you were definitely the, after a little bit bigger, bigger grade of deer. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's saying it about as good as you can say it. You know, as. As I and, and and so once I understood that the thing is is you still don't know 
until you go. Now you might figure out after time that this old boy here, the same old boy, well, his big buck is not. When he when he finally tells me, I saw a monster, you know, or I hear him talking, then I'm gonna go look again, <laughs> you know. But uh, that was just one tactic, you know. Um, the barbershop, I mean, it's a huge, you know, I don't know if you young guys go to the barbershop, cut your own hair, do what you do, but you know, barbershop is a place you gain a lot of knowledge a lot of times and big bucks one of the things you know my barber actually shot the biggest buck that i've ever scored and it was a monster i i i steven you were there with me i was there yeah. what did that what was that final um uh, somewhere around 230 inches yeah you know? and, he, and he had like 27 scoreable points or something he's a freak he was a freak so i mean so find so a my barber, barber near you yeah find a barber <laughs> near you yeah, you know, he's a good barber too. You know, kills big bucks. I've I've actually scored a few for him. He has a very nice wall. So, you know, you, you said that you get permission spots. Um, you can't scout everywhere. So, how were you able to to find these deer or find these setups without being able to go over to other people's property? Like, okay. Well, let let me jump back real quick to where we were. As far as I was saying, don't worry if you didn't own the property, you hadn't got to do the the work in the late winter and you're just now getting your bow get fired up hopefully you've been shooting for a couple months and that's become second nature to you uh, but it's not too late you're yeah, still going and that's what like I said back to the original story when I said that I, I was I had abandoned my original plan and moving into a different spot when I shot that buck it all worked out but but the thing is you have to be very careful about how you do it and you have to understand that you're not going to be able to do a lot of limb trimming and stuff like that because that that's pushing your luck yeah, you know for scent. pressure yeah i mean scent and noise and all that you know you just have to climb the tree you know and a lot of times i i like to use ditches and waterways to access uh, my tree or my hunting area um, i learned that before the no scent suits you know when i was so if you don't have a no-sense suit and you can't afford a no-sense suit, here's a tactic for you because, you know, I always wear rubber boots. I always wore rubber boots, um, but I always wore some pants over the top of the rubber boots, especially my no-sense pants. But before then, I still wore pants over the top of the, the rubber boots up high, and I might tape that seam. That way, any scent that was puffing out of my rubber boots was going up into my pant leg instead of out on all the vegetation around you. It took me a little bit to figure out why, you know, the rubber boot, you know, you can leak scent around the top on vegetation at that height, which, as we all know, is about the height of a deer's nose. Right. So right. you walk That's a good through. Tip. Yeah. So, uh, but I would walk through the water in these creeks to get to a tree, and a lot of times I would look for a creek crossing. You know, find a good creek crossing where you see the deer tracks and they're crossing and be looking for a, a, a tree that you can go straight up into without ever touching the ground. You know, then there is no trail for them to cross over and smell and, and go blowing out of there before you they get within 20 yards and you get a shot. And that's how I was defeating their nose prior to the no sense suit. You know, that was my, I wasn't always defeating it, you know, because right. you still got an airborne scent, but as far as them smelling me somewhere along the way that I got to my stand and they crossed my trail, I was beating them like that. You know, I learned to, to use those waterways if at all possible. Okay. Well, those are, those are really, really good tips uh, to beat their nose and uh, just 
you know, you, you, you went to the coffee shops, you went to the feed stores, you went to the gas stations, you were listening for deer, deer stories, hearing about big bucks. Um, Say I found one you, and wanted to get on it, what would I do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's basically you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you I, find so. this mature buck, you, you know, it's finally one that you want to go hunt, and then... Well, now it comes down to whether or not you can hunt that spot. Okay. You well, know? Yeah. Well, that's um, important. <laughs> it, that's right. And and there's going to be some times that people just say no, you know. But I was really surprised, you know, in, in my area where there was people that would let me archery hunt where they wouldn't let me rifle hunt is what I found out. A lot of the farmers, they wanted the deer numbers down, you know, for their crop, crop damage and, and stuff, which is understandable. That's their livelihood. Um, and deer can play hop on a, on a cornfield or a bean field, you know. They, the more deer you got, the, you know, the worse. Happier the farmer was? You know, yeah, if you're shooting his deer. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, so the, a lot of people would, would actually let me hunt, you know, because I was from the, you know, they knew who there, I was yeah. or my family and, I, you know. Um, but anyway, I would ask permission if, you know, whoever it was, and, and if they said no, then I would ask the people next door, the adjoining land, you know, and try to get close to him in that way because I knew eventually he would go onto that land. You know, I might have to wait until he was looking for does in the pre-rut into uh, October, early November, but he would step next door Eventually. nine times out of ten. And I just hoped it was in daylight hours, you know. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, if, if, it, if they, let's say they said yes, you know, and then it comes down to am I seeing him there you know, do I see him there every night? Do I see him there every third night? You know, uh, how visible is he? You know, is he coming out well before dark? Is he out right at the edge of dark? You know, because uh, a lot of these older mature bucks, man, they really, the older they get, the more nocturnal they get. And so the bigger bucks you start hunting, the harder it is to, to get them in the daylight hours. And really the best chance you have is the early season or the rut, you know, in my opinion. Now late season, late, late season, if you're a tough son of a gun and you can sit out there in them sub-zero temperatures and, and hang in there, you know, it can be done the same as early season. It's similar to early season because they're concentrating on feed at that time. And, you know, it's kind of the same. Oh, yeah. Find same the food, flavor. find the deer. Right. So if I did, I was seeing him here, you know, depending on how that field was situated, how I could access that hunting area and so on and so forth, basically I would go in and try to get it. If, if he was there with plenty of daylight, I might backtrack him a little, you know, try to figure out where he's coming from. A lot of times these deer, they come up to within 50 yards of the edge of the, the feed that they're eating, whether it's a food plot or somebody's beans or corn. And, and it's a staging area, you know, it's where they spend the last remaining hours of sun up, daylight, you know. Right. Once that sun drops below that horizon, you know, then they might start moseying out there into the field. And with a good pair of optics, you can still see them. And a lot of mature bucks have made that mistake, you know, uh, to get out there uh, with just enough light that them optics pick him up. Spot and scope is real hard but a good pair of binoculars, it can be done. Um, Probably any, an important tool to have is a, a pair of binoculars. Oh, man, on. I tell you what, I was I was an old fella, you know, all of 30, young 30s, when I actually learned. I thought I knew how to use binoculars, but I didn't. And that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, okay, that, that, okay. They're, they're, it, it opened my eyes like I couldn't believe. 
I've been right. missing out on a big part of hunting. So, um, we're, we're going to stay close to early season here. Well, let me finish this okay. hunt. Oh, kill oh yeah, this yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, so, depending on what, where, how the field's situated, what, how I can get in there or whatever, I'm basically going to go in and do like I did that buck I talked to about earlier that I shot, and I'm going to try to set up where wherever he's coming down the trail and or coming out into the open or there's a good spot for me to shoot him or if he'll stop naturally and and naturally means you know a lot of times deer if you'll notice they'll they'll hesitate a little before they jump a fence or you know so so if you're somewhere around a fence crossing before they go out into the field you might set up to where you can shoot before that hesitation uh, now I grunt at them a lot of times with my mouth and get them to stop now uh, and then release but uh, sometimes if I if I don't have to do any of that I don't do that either you know but if they're yeah. in walking mode I'll do that but anyway you're gonna set up uh, to where they are upwind of you you know the wind is blowing from them to you yeah. and you wait you, you get in there as quietly as you can as early as you can uh, and with as little activities you can and you get up a tree, you know, and, and I guess maybe some listeners might be like, well, wait a minute, I can't carry in a ladder stand or, you know, what's this guy talking about? You get up a tree. Well, in the early days, I climbed it, you know, I Just literally climbed climbed it and I hunted off a branch, you know, big oak trees and so on and so forth. Yes, sir. That's what I did, you know, but nowadays, you know, I have. I have a couple different methods I use um, depending on how far I got to go in and but when I'm going in on a big buck I've got these uh, strap on steps that strap onto the steps or strap onto the tree and I worked out a method to get them up very silently and I can get them up pull me up a, a stand and uh, get it hung and then you know, you're looking from the ground, I try to find where I'm going to put the stand, obviously, and I look around where I know the deer is coming down this trail or coming out on this point. And it's 20 yards or, you know, ideally that's where I like to shoot. Um, and it gets done. You know, I mean, it's that simple. You know, you, you have to have a little bit of woodsman skills and be able to silently do all of those things. Pull up your bow, pull up the stand, get the steps up. And, you know, it's hot. You know, so you're going to, you know, want to sweat, you know, so in order to not do a bunch of sweating, you know, you have, to take, you have to take your time. You have to take your time, so that means you have to have time to do that. You know, you can't just think you're going to rush in there with an hour and a half of daylight left and get it done. That's not, I mean, you might find success like that, but... That's not how you found no, success? No, 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 no. You need to get in there and take your time, get it done, you know, and... That's basically all there is to it. And then being a, a decent archery shot, being able to control your emotions and your adrenaline and, and make the shot. And that comes with practice, practice, practice. That's a lot of good stuff right there. I hope so. Oh, you know? it is. It is. Uh, and uh, especially if you're a new hunter starting out. But even for some experienced guys. I mean, I just guys, feel like I just want to go on and tell more and more and more. I know. You well, know? well, we've but got. I, I like to help young guys. I like to get more people into hunting. You know, we have all these, I don't want to get into politics at all, but people want to take our guns and, and you know, eventually maybe our bows, you know, but with those things come our hunting rights, you know, and the more people, the better, right? Absolutely. Those are more people that are going to vote, <laughs> you know, the way I have to look at it, the older yeah. I get, you know, yeah. you, you have to think those are voters and, 
and they're not going to want to give away their hunting rights you know for and for me i think about the younger generation you my grandkids you know uh i hope that they can experience you know the hunt. oh my gosh yes i i can't imagine that going away you yeah know, i hope a, i hope it doesn't no hope it doesn't I think it's great for the youth, you know, it gives them something to do rather than video games and drugs and, you know, all the bad stuff that you hear about nowadays. And I'm not saying video games are bad stuff, but to no, me, no, they very well could be in excess, you know, kids just want to sit in and do that. Yeah, and honey I was teaches out you a shooting, lot of good things. shooting bows, you know, climbing trees. Right, right. So, um, let's say you found a mature buck and... You have unlimited resources um, as far as property lines go. What habitat or terrain or food and what type of winds are you hunting in the early season? Now, um, that's a pretty loaded question, obviously, so you can break it down however you'd like. We can start with just food in the early season. What kind of food do you like to hunt near... Uh, when you know there's a mature buck in the area okay. on early season. You know, it's almost like you're cheating, Stephen, because I've been teaching you about this stuff for a couple of years now. And you know the answer to this question, uh, you know. It, but not a lot of people do. Right. And and so, okay, I, I, and, and I always have, have told you these things and always told you it's like top secret. You know, so for me to open up and share these things, because I don't know if it's the competitiveness, you know, or the worry that other hunters are going to come into my uh, perspective area, you know, where I hunt and, and start killing my big bucks. But it's always a lot of closely guarded secrets that I've kept under my hat. And, you know, I realize at my age now that there is an abundance of wildlife. There's enough for everybody, you know, to go around if everybody just goes around and he's happy and does their own thing you know and that, that, right, right you know so i mean there's enough for there's everybody. scenarios where that doesn't yeah, always work that, out that's right. obvious it's true but, that's true you know? but you're right you know that i just the more hunters the better for me is the way i look at it nowadays so i'm if i can help you with some success and give you some things that i've learned over the years you know i always said that you know the only way to cheat wisdom you know because wisdom comes with age you know because age you have a chance to have all these experiences that you learn from and so you can't have as many experiences as i've had because you're only half my age right you know so how can you be as wise well the only way to cheat that system is to listen to your elders and learn from their mistakes and or successes and the more you listen and the more you learn you know obviously the wiser you're going to get and and that's just how it works so uh so let's wisen up these listeners all right it's you know so you want to look for in a lot of places it's it's the clover and for me i i really focus on the late season beans you know i call them wheat beans we call them wheat beans because most of the time there's been winter wheat planted in whether if they're wheat beans all the time there's been wheat planted in there ahead of time and so they they get the wheat out and then they plant the beans and they've already planted all their early season beans and corns i'm talking about the farmers when i say they um and so these beans are greening up and are still green I should say still green when the leaves have changed you know and fall is here 
and the other beans have turned you know the corns yellowed like you said you know that's what we're looking at today um, and the beans are starting to turn well the wheat beans aren't and in the shaded areas they're definitely not in the shaded wet areas you know and that's another thing that I'll tell the listeners is you know you want to when you picture a picture a field out in the middle of somewhere just a square field and you got north south east and west you know well everybody knows where the sun comes up and the sun sets so as the sun sets in the west you know the trees okay now remember our square and put the north south east and west the trees over on the west side see as the sun's dropping and they the sun hides behind them last basically you know i mean and it's going to stay that way for the longest it's going to be shaded you know first you know the deer always seem to come out on that side is what i'm trying to tell you a lot of times they come out on the in shaded that corner side. yeah that south west corner you know it seems like and maybe it's not that way for everybody but it's always been that way for me and the, the, the beans will stay greener it seems like over there or any low spots that you might have even later into the season and these deer are going to focus on that and they're going to focus on the corn in late season you know get the remainder of it for the carbohydrates but the clover's still green most of the time and they're going to hit that clover so if you've got a clover field or a winter wheat field that's what i would focus on looking at nowadays where i put my camera where i do put my cameras unless i have a food plot and a lot of guys have food plots set up and then that's a obviously where you want to put so i know that you've mentioned you want to hunt these shaded spots near wheat beans or clover um but how I necessarily hunt for, that's where the deer come out right. you might not want it depending on the wind direction it may that's be. what i was going to ask so for an early season setup how are you going to set up mainly uh, is there a certain wind direction that you you uh, wind, like to set up? Yeah, we know predominantly the wind's going to come out of the south here early season. You know, so I'm always looking to be on the north side of things, you know, so yeah. that the wind is coming from them. And then I'm looking for ways to make sure that they have to stay within those zones, you know, where there's a, a ditch, you know, a, a hard embankment on a creek or a bluff. You know, they're not going to damn sure ain't gonna walk out there where it drops off 30 feet you know <clears throat> right so right, they've no. got to stay up here and okay, so if yeah. i'm hunting on that north side of that and then they don't have any choice if that's the edge of the timber they have to go between that bluff's edge and me that's I mean, and, and if that um, edge is is hopefully if you find a pinch point you know and and the way to do that and the way that i did that previous to this phone apps and stuff that you guys got now you know was i went and got aerial maps and topographical maps and i learned how to read them and and that was part of the explosion of matt jackson learning to to hunt big bucks you know along with the no sense suits and and the new hunting areas because that's the thing if you hunt one area your entire life I tell you what, you're missing out on a huge part of hunting because part of the thrill for me and part of the excitement is learning new areas and beating that buck on his home turf. Oh, yeah. Because you're walking into his living room, you know, and if somebody comes into your living room and starts moving stuff around, cutting limbs down, moving your sofa, your recliner, you're going to know right away. I think so. I think so. So, obviously, the less intrusion, you know, and so on and so forth, but, you know, well, that, that brings me to my next question, and that, that's a good transition, actually, because uh, a big topic today is buck bedding, all right? 
and uh, you know, from the sounds of it, you're more you more kind of lean towards the food sources to to find your deer. But have you found any sure spots where you're seeing mature bucks using a location in early season on a yearly basis? And if you are. How are these spots set up? Okay, well, let me just cut you off there and say, you know, let me take, let's let's treat the listeners as 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 we have from from the beginning as as new hunters, you know, and all of them are not going to be, and you know, obviously, old hunters like myself, we can learn new tricks, and and we will, and we do, if we want to keep hunting and killing big bucks. But I'll take you back to that. You said focus on the food. You know that I focus on the food and stuff for big bucks and all that. Well, yes and no. You know, early in my career, I told you I sat on limbs when I hunted. Yeah. And I would, those big white oaks, you know, that are, it takes two or three men to put their arms around the base of them. Those are big. Right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Those yeah. big trees. I hunted over the, under up in those where I could sit on those big fat limbs and be comfortable and shoot my bow early season, you know, before I could afford a stand, you know, when I was that 14, 15, 16, you know, years old in my youth and wanted to kill a deer. That's a sure, you're going to for sure kill a deer like that, or at least get your opportunities and good bucks as well, you know, but first of all, you got, you would have to be able to defeat the does because the does and the yearlings are going to come to those early, long before it gets dark. You know, I'm Before talking. Big Daddy comes out, huh? Yeah, yeah. So you would have to let them be able to walk under you and around you and all that. And uh, but all I cared about was shooting a deer back then. You know, I wanted I wanted to take home the bacon, so to speak. And, and so I would I was happy to shoot a, a big doe or whatever. Um, but I also shot several decent bucks uh, using the same tactic. And those deer can be there all day long because they're hammering them acorns, that food source, which is a huge food source. And as you know from being a guy who uh, goes out in glasses and, and rides the roads and, and counts deer in his area and this, that, and the other, you know that deer disappear at a certain time of year. And, it, and, and then that, that wheat beans and corn or food plots or feeders or anything you got, sometimes it doesn't matter. You know, when they first jump on them acorns, they disappear from the fields. You know, um, and it also bring, keeps them from coming out. I talked about those staging areas early in this deal where they spend the last, you know, could be as long as an hour or 15 minutes before they break out into the open. Well, they're munching on acorns. Well, those bucks, a lot of times, they're marking it up. You know, they're they're leaving rubs and scrapes in there. That's where everybody's conglomerating. Right. said that right. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're gathering. Yeah, you gathering. Know, That's a better um, word. But they're waiting for it to get dark enough to walk out, and, and while they're doing that, in that staging area, you know, the bucks are rubbing, and they're eating acorns, and they're making scrapes, and the does, most of them are eating acorns, and you'll notice that those same does that had been out at the field at such and such time, well now instead of being out there every night at that same time like they had been, they're lagging 30 minutes. That's because they're still eating acorns before they come out, you know? And so it, it pushes the time frame back. So uh, don't don't ever, I, I don't want to leave those out of the scenario. Sure, okay, and, and I, I wasn't, easy, I wasn't easy meaning hunter, to be know. vague. No, no, I know no, that you I, don't I just hunt food uh, sources as far as crop fields, but, uh, but I really do want to dive into this um, uh, buck bed. So I think it would be really good for the listeners to, to hear about you know, uh, kind of terrain features that you see or areas that you see bucks bed in the early season um, and kind of try to give an example of what these places 
it yeah, looked I, like. I heard you the first time that I tried to, <laughs> I tried to avoid the question, <laughs> because <clears throat> as I was saying, you know, you're asking me to, to, to give you these biggest, deepest, darkest secrets, and you know, I know, a, I know, you know, um, and I tell you what, what, to to know, you know, that you're going to be teaching a lot of guys, that, you know, this is this is good stuff, really good stuff. <laughs> you listeners, see, I manipulate me to get the information. <laughs> The, the perks of being the son-in-law, I yeah. guess. Okay, so, so I, okay, so I guess the, the first thing that that pop, let me fix this. The first thing that pops to mind for me, and it's you know, I mean, it's not going to be every place is going to be like this, but a lot of times you will find this to be the case. Because you remember earlier that you asked me, you know, about how did I find the big bucks in the early season and so forth yeah well quail hunters are another good source of information and something that i learned from a buddy of mine's dad a really good buddy of mine's dad he's a big time quail hunter and he gives me a hard time about hunting deer i give him a hard time about hunting them poor little pretty birds and and i go hunting with him and, and enjoy it um but good tasting birds too oh yeah yeah and i love i love the sport of it but Needless to say, I, I learned a little something from him. And he puts a many a mile down walking with these bird dogs. And he would he told me, you know, for several different years, how he saw this big buck there, this big buck there, this big buck there. And I started, you know, putting this together. And, you know, with the scent, uh, why were these big bucks bent? You know, I was, I was questioning why, are, why does this keep happening? And it would be a draw or a finger that went out into the field. And most of the time, it dead-ended actually out in the field. And, ag field, right? Excuse me? A ag field, agriculture. Oh, yeah. Field. Yeah, most every time being ag field, but not always. It could be a, a fescue or, you know, in this area, CRP field oh, okay. or something. But most of the time, it would be... And, and maybe maybe not have corn surrounding it for for that visual purpose but here what I'm saying this big buck would be bedded at the end of this finger out in the middle of this field and you would think oh why why would he do that you know how can he escape you know if you if you come up on him or whatever well okay these fingers most of them let's say if that predominant wind is, is coming out of the south these fingers would be going north and south, and this buck would be on the very far north end. Basically using the same type of tactics that I use and have them walk between me and a bluff and or a creek edge or a field edge or something that forces them a brush pile when I was early, early young and shot my quiver. Um, something that caused them to funnel into a certain area for me to shoot them. And this buck's using the same type of tactics, only he has a nose where he can smell. So he beds down out there, and, and if that draw finger is happens to be elevated a little bit as it goes out, all the better for him. Because he's laying there, and he can see everything one direction and smell everything from the other. And he can see all the way around him you know for that matter not just one direction you can see all the way around him but he's going to lay down where he's looking where he can't smell he's going to let the wind come into his back 
whereas you know we would be looking into it to see it's the, kind of the opposite yeah. there but um, we can't smell we can't smell like him and so he can see you coming from a long ways away and he can escape by running right across the open field if that's what he has to do and with this bird hunting deal that's what he was doing you know like that but uh, I found a, a couple of particular draws in my hunting area that it proved to be true over and over and these things were tore up at the end and all up and down them from rubs and and scrapes and stuff the activity that they did inside of those without coming out of them uh, but that's a good place to look you know Okay, that that's a lot of good stuff right there. Uh, appreciate that that honest answer from you. So uh, my my next question is is uh, when you see a buck do something twice in a row, how confident are you going in for the kill on the next hunt? How, how confident am I? Well, I mean I don't know. You said twice in a row. I mean, yeah. I don't know about twice in a row. I mean, I can tell you about watching him do something all summer, you know, watching him do something for, you know, days in a row. Um, now, I, I have, I don't know what percentage it would be if it was just two days, but I can give you an example of, I put a, I put a Let's few, hear it. Yeah. I put a few friends and uh, I, I kind of a, 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 a young man who, had a tragedy in his life early on. His, his dad died in a bad accident. And, and you know, he started, I, I started taking him fishing and bow hunting stuff when he was about 11. Uh, this kid and, uh, a, you know, a few others and a, another friend of mine uh, that was in the service. I'll give you, I'll give you that example. Because it's a good, it falls back to the no sin and all that. So this would be a good one. Okay. Um, so a buddy of mine goes away to the service. He, he becomes an army ranger. And he, he's never really got into bow hunting all through high school and all that. And he went out there. Well, he got into it while he was away. But in Louisiana, Fort Polk, Louisiana, there, there's the, he, he claims that the deer are about as big as uh, a medium-sized dog. Oh, man. You know, like uh, German Shepherds, maybe. Or, you know, so he said it's not like there's any big bucks. So he wanted to come back and go hunting with me. And, and I wanted him to. It was great. So we, we were planning it. And uh, so he says, you know, and I told him, I said, dude, it's, it's, here's the deal. I mean, I would love to have you back, but there's a few rules that are going to go along with, you know, going hunting with me. You're going to have to do what I do before we go hunting and, and like I do it and have the same type of equipment. He's like, okay, man, I'll do whatever I need to do. And I said, okay. So, and this guy had a top of the line bow and he is a great shot. Um, but I told him, I said, dude, you got to have a no-scent suit. You got to have rubber boots. Uh, this is what I use as far as sprays and stuff. And um, you're going to have to take a no-scent shower at my house. You have to use a no-scent towel to dry. I mean, I went through the whole kit and caboodle, and he said, I'm in, man. I'm in. So he went out. He bought him up the whole thing, you know, the headgear, the gloves, you know, the pants, the top. And he was ready to go. And our hunt was coming up, and he called me on the way. He was halfway here from Louisiana, and he said, Hey, man, he said, uh, uh, I was talking to my boy, and, and he said, you know, he, he kind of wanted to come with me, and he said, I don't get to see him all the time. You know, I'm overseas. This guy fought for us. I mean, this guy, you know, 
I have a ton of respect for him. So I'm pumped about getting an opportunity to give back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he says, uh, you don't mind if I bring him, do you? And I said, I, th- I thought you was already on your way. And he said, why well, am I am, but I ain't hit Springfield Bass Pro yet. I said, well, what's that? He said, I got to stop and buy this boy to get up, man. The whole no-sense suit and all the stuff you told me about. He said, I got mine, you know, but uh, I'm not bringing him without that. I said, all right, man, that's cool, man. I'm glad you brought him along. He said, for real? I said, for real, man, nothing's changed. I said, I done got a buck picked out for you. He said, do what? I said, yeah, I mean, he ain't perfect. He's not like a perfect 12-pointer or nothing. He's like, well, I didn't figure, man. He said, I'd be happy with a with a doe or, you know, anything, man. I just want to come up and go hunting. I said, well, this guy's got 13 points, you know. I mean, it's kind of an odd number. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, no way, man. I'm like, yeah, I'm not kidding you. So he's pumped halfway on his ride. Now he's got the, you know, good graces of me to bring his kid and all that. But I said, we got one problem. He said, what's that, man? There ain't no problems we can't solve. What do you got? I said, I only got one stand up in there, man. I said, I, I didn't know you were bringing him. I said, I slipped in on a rainy day and set up on this buck, you know, slipped back out. I said, the stand's there. All you got to do is do what I tell you. The buck's there for you. And he's like, no problem, no problem, man. I was buying a new stand while I'm at Bass Pro. Oh, man. And he's like, I He went said, all out for this. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this guy... You know, he fought for us overseas, and, and there's certain benefits that I think as far as taxes and stuff. But, I mean, he'd been saving his money. He didn't have no place to spend it when he's over defending yeah, us and taking he, care of our rights. Sure. You know, and he's terrorist and taking care of business. You know, there's, there's no place to really spend his money, I guess. So he's socking it away. He's happy. And, and he knows that all the stuff he's buying is not like it's going to be one-time use, you know. He's hoping that his son's going to get into bow hunting, too, and that's something they're, they're going to be able to do when he's home and a way to spend father-son time and all that, which, as it turned out, you know, how can you not get hooked? You know, his dad was able to take him in there. You know, I I brought him in, got him out, took him down, got him dressed, told him exactly where to go, how to walk, what to do, and they, I suppose, followed it to the T. Then he was capable of getting in the tree ahead of his son, standing in my stand, and that I had hung for him, hanging another stand for his son by standing in that stand, and then having his boy hook on his gear, pulling it up, hanging it up, having the boy come up, safety belting him in, safety belting himself in, and was there in buku hours in time for this to happen, uh, you know, because I was worried about the scent and the, him putting hanging the stand and noise and, and everything, you know, and I, I really didn't have high hopes for success because I knew this buck wasn't bedding a whole long ways away, you know? He's pretty close, huh? Well, I, it depends on what you call close, but he was within probably 150 yards, and on a still day, I promise you, he could hear you clang and bang a stand up, yeah. you know? Especially if you never hung one before. Right, and, you know, I know that this guy just bought this stand, so is he familiar with it, you know? I mean, he, and he was, you know, he said he had other stands of the same kind, so that was fortunate. Um, but still, it, you know, it had the new sand smell and all that. I mean, <laughs> the new stand smell. Yeah, I mean, dude, I don't put up with none of that. You know, I take hey, my stands out and I no. weather them. And listen, you got the experience to back it up. That's that's all that matters. I mean, it may be silly, you know. I mean, some of the things I do may be to the extreme, but you know, it may be that one little thing that that, 
that is the key to the success over everything. Or if if you don't do that one little thing, let's put it that way, that may be the end of your hunt. You know, what, what, what burns it down? What turns that buck around at the last moment, right before the moment of truth? Because you didn't do that one little thing that I do. I, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying that they're all right is what I'm trying to tell you. But right, I'm saying that right. it, it, what, what I'm doing, it, it tends it's to work for me. It you works I mean? for me. It's worked for you. Yep. Well, I think there's a And little, it worked for him. You know, I've, I've heard <laughs> this story before, okay? And uh, so I know a little bit about it, but I think there was a little bit about the timing. You had you had something going on with oh, the Oh, yeah, buck there here. was. Yeah, I mean... Something about the timing. Well, I knew, you know, I mean, I've been watching the book, obviously, and... and he wasn't there every night, but he was there just about every night. I mean, it was like crazy, you know, clockwork. And and it's like that in the early season. You know, if you get out early enough, um, you'll find that a lot of books are that way. You know, and this guy told him, I said, you know, at such and such time, and I don't remember now what time it was, you know, uh, whether, you know, early season, it would have probably been 8 o'clock or something, you know, but I don't remember. But I told him a time uh, when this buck was going to come out, when he needed to be on high alert, you know, when he needed to be watching, needed to be quiet, needed to be still. And uh, he told me after shooting this buck, you know, he he uh, gets a hold of me, tells me he made the shot, he didn't know if he made a good shot. His son said that he saw it hit right in the money. He said it hit right in the heart. Great shot. Somewhere harder lungs. Um, the guy who made the shot didn't know for sure. Didn't hear the deer crash. So he was a nervous wreck. Had never killed a deer that big. You know, the deer ended up scoring just under 140. Uh, and he was he was absolutely elated, you know. And his son was hooked. And, and they bow hunt to this day together. I mean, that happened years ago. And his son has his own bow. Obviously, he's had several bows since then. And so he got that father-son time that he wanted to achieve. We got another hunter out hunting. And uh, they had a great experience. And I got to, to give back, you know. And, and it was good for everybody, that's really. A, that's a great story, man. Do you have any other experiences where um, you were able to... To kind of time the buck or, or have a strategy. Oh, yeah, that was the, the thing. The guy told me. Oh. Yeah, about the timing. That's what you were asking. The guy the guy asked, you know, I told him one time, and he told me after he said, dude, he said, I was looking at my watch. I was looking at my watch. He said, I thought that time was never going to get here. Never going to get here. And he said, as it neared, I'm thinking, okay, Jackson, now you said this book's coming. You know, yeah. he, he had that much faith in me that it he was, was coming. He, he said the nerves was already starting to kick on him. You know, and I had preached to him about that. You know, I said, dude, you you know, you're over there, you're shooting these guns. You're, you know, he's got all these marksman batches. I mean, he's an army ranger, elite paratrooper, jumps out of plane, and he's got all these patches for marksmanship and all that, you know, where he can shoot. Some, I, and, and we're talking about bad guys and what have you. We're yeah. talking about deer here, and he's falling to pieces. And... I said, I told him, I warned him it might happen, and, and he said he didn't think it would, but it did. But the good thing was is that I had told him the time, and as it neared, you know, what I told him might happen started happening. He started getting the shakes. He started getting nervous. Like, what am I going to do if this deer guy, you know, I'm gonna, where am I going to shoot him at? I'm going to shoot him in that gap. I'm going to stop him. He's going to come out there. Well, you know, and then when he did sight the deer, you know, he said he had had the time 
to go back over what I told him to calm himself down, make sure he checked all his checkpoints. You know, he, he had a kisser tab on his bow, he had a peep sight on his bow, he touched the string of his bow to his nose, he put his knuckle in behind his ear. You know, I said, all man, the go through all your checkpoints, do everything, you know, remind yourself verbally, and then tell yourself just how bad a man you are. And you know, I use a certain verbiage, you know, because you're a bad mamma jamma, right? You know, and <laughs> and tell yourself that, and and you know you're getting ready to stroke him because you're a heck of an archery shot. So have that confidence. And and he said that deer come in. He said, and I stroked him. He said I felt good about it. He said I just didn't see the arrow hit, and I didn't see him go down. He said, but I did what you told me. He said I waited, and I waited, and I waited. He said I I finally we Grant and I climbed down, and he said we snuck out the same way we come in like you told us and here we are now what we do i said well here's what we do and you know eventually you know the moral story is we went in there and uh we found good blood found his arrow and and the deer didn't go 50 60 yards you know and was laying there piled up and there was a good for him oh, it was a great celebration That's an awesome story yeah he's got the deer on his wall and and we had a great, and, and, and here's the thing, that happened years ago, and the guy came back and hunted with me last year, um, and my, believe this or not, but I got a daughter who got married on opening day of gun season, right? I'm like this big deer hunter, and my daughter got married on opening day of gun season. Not, not the one you're marrying, obviously. Yeah, but, no. Um, the other one. And this guy came back to hunt with me, and... He's sitting in, he, he didn't have a tag or nothing. He came back for the wedding, right? So he wasn't going to buy a tag. He couldn't stay long. He was just here for the wedding. and But he said he wanted to go. So, hey, don't miss your, and I was going to go that morning, but then had the wedding that afternoon. Um, so he went with me, and I kind of, I had a new gun, and it had a three-style safety, and I just pushed it forward one click, and when I pulled the trigger, the gun didn't go off. And this buck was chasing the doe, and it was just crazy. This guy, he was there to help me out again, and all things being what they were, I'm, I, I, I don't want to tell the rest of the story because I might have I might have, I might have messed up and missed, but I could have been successful. We'll leave that for another day. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So needless to say, you had to, you had it down. We had another to great right time. We had another great hunting experience and, and with his right time. And, yeah. and he was able to put it back together and make the shot and that deer's on his wall today and that's that's so cool it really is man that's it that's a good story and and it shows that these deer in the early season they can be patterned you know they if can. you really put in the work and time they you have opportunity to pattern these deer um nowadays you just gotta have a few trail cameras well yeah uh look at this right here we got a coyote crossing the road not a smart you, coyote. No, it's a little young pup. That's yep. it. And just born this year. Yep. So, are there any other examples, maybe, that you could tell us that, of a uh, where you're where you, somebody you know or or you were able to pattern these buck or a buck in the early season, and how was it able? How were you able to do that? I'm, I'm kind of chuckling or giggling because I, I keep thinking of you know like a few people that I helped out oh let me do this a few people that I helped out along the way and one of them being that buddy of mine who was 
super competitive with me early on in archery and, and all that. You know, he he went on to college and, and he ended up living in Kansas City and, and he had a real good, he's, he coaches, he coaches uh, baseball from college there and one of the assistant coaches became a good friend of his and, and they were, I'll tell this one because this, this is a good one. I used to tease them about rattling the bucket, you know, because throughout the summer, they were hunting this place just right outside Kansas City, not too far. I won't say if it was in Kansas or Missouri and all that, just so it doesn't <laughs> make anybody go crazy. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it was archery only. There was no gun hunting there, you know, because of the, I guess, being in the city or still in the city of somewhat one side or the other. And with that being a case it let these bucks mature i mean there was more and this is this is a true story there was more four and a half and five and a half year old bucks there than i've ever seen anywhere that i've ever hunted or had anything to do with and these guys had a couple cameras out and they were running them all summer long from the time these bucks started putting on horns and we had names to all these bucks uh the caribou buck and they had one they called the devil that was just absolutely an awesome buck and the one that actually this hunt revolves around and that got shot uh, they called crabby because he had a crab claw at the end of his main beams on both sides he looked like uh, the pinchers on a uh, crawdad and they called him crabby and he was a 160, low 160s buck. That's a nice deer. Oh, it was a, it was a beautiful buck. And he, but he, he was not nearly as big as the devil buck. And that's a fact, Jack. That dude was 190 if he was an oh, inch. Man. I mean, he was smoking deer, right? I, I would love to have taken him. And he was so symmetrical, beautiful. And he had little waves in his tines, and he was forward set. And he was a mainframe 12-pointer. He was clean. Big Green buck. Oh, man, he was super buck. And he had a dark racked boot, and he was squared out. It was just an awesome buck. I mean, I've still got pictures of him. I'll have to show you one of these days if I haven't. Yeah, definitely. Um, Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but this other buck traveled with him throughout the summer, you know, and the caribou buck and, and a few others. There was a bent brow buck. I still remember these bucks from years ago. You know, it's funny that they have those names, and I still remember them. I, mean, I hadn't thought about this for a long time. But uh, these guys had a particular situation where they had to park. You know, this is the city we're talking about. And they had to park off a main, like, three or four lane interstate, you know. And they parked this place that, I mean, I was worried about parking at when I went there with them. And anyway, they, they would go out there after they got done with practice or what have you. And, and uh, what they found out... Well, they would take corn out there and they'd take apples out there and they'd put them in, in front of their cameras. In the summertime? Yeah, all through the summer. And uh, they started getting pictures of all these deer, you know. Well, also, it didn't hurt matters any that where they were doing this at, you know, it was in winter wheat and it turned out to be wheat beans, you know, for when the bow season rolled around. And anyway, these guys, they, they're, I was actually supposed to go up there and go hunting that opening weekend and something came up i don't remember what it was now that's funny i don't know. remember the bucks names i remember the bucks isn't that something 
and it had to be something in order. I think it was a big buck at home, maybe, um, but I'm not positive about that. I, I I have to go back and read my journal. That'll tell me. But uh, you know, the old journal is a good memory, if, you know. So anyway, they could not get into this particular place. They had to park where they parked. There was no other way to park. There was buildings on one side of this place. There was a subdivision and people's backyards on another side of this place. And then there was some kind of, I don't even want to say what kind of industry it was or what have you. I know what it was, but I don't want to put people on this place. All right. All so right. I'll just say um, that the only way they could get in was from where they parked and, and they just couldn't find another way around. And I'm granted, I looked at this thing here. I, I would have had a very tough time doing it as well. And they knew by going in, they were going to jump these deer up. But they continued to go in there, and these deer really were landlocked. Like, they were, like, landlocked on this ground because of all the industry buildings and homes and stuff. You know, they really couldn't run off like here at home. Here at home, if I would have done what they did, those bucks would have been gone. They would have found a new place to live, and I'd have never seen them again. But it wasn't the case with these bucks. And they were four-and-a-half and, and five-year-old bucks. So it wasn't your everyday deal, but here's what happened. So they called me up and they said, well, what would you do when they knew I couldn't come? Well, what would you do, you know, to get in there? These bucks, you know, are not in there in the evenings. There's no way for us to shoot them in the evenings. It's always the mornings when they come through and when they're there. And that's that way every time, you know, and, I, and there's no way for us to get in there without jumping them and, you know, in the darkness before huh? and really I couldn't see it either so I said well you can always do what me and, and that buddy of mine that is the army ranger um, we, we one time slept out in the woods in our sleeping bags in a down down tree that fell out into a field I roosted these birds these turkeys and we slept underneath them and we were there when the Sun came up and the birds started gobbling and when they flew down we took a double and it was, it was the craziest thing I ever did at that time, you know. But it worked, okay. So, you know, people, yeah. and, and I had two other friends that were with us that night. We'd all been catfishing and stuff. And we told them, hey, man, we're, we're going to bed. we got to get up early. You know, we roosted these birds. we got a pig, blah, blah, blah. And they said, nah, man, well, you know, come on, you can fish, blah, blah, blah. No, so they stayed up. And needless to say, they I think they opened up some kind of alcoholic beverages. And the next morning, they didn't get up. Bummer. But guess what? We were sleeping in the woods. So we came back and threw them turkeys in bed with them. I'm not even lying. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a whole other story. But what I told these guys is you can do what we did. Go in there the night before. Climb up in a tree. Safety belt yourself in. And plan on taking you a little nap. What? You're crazy, man. I said, how bad do you want to kill a booning cropper? That's what it comes down to, man. Either you want to kill a booner. Or, you know, what'd you call me for if you don't want to listen to what I got to say? Man, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. If, if we all know those are the facts, you're telling me those are facts, why not go in there the night before? And I'm not saying you got to go in there at 530 in the afternoon. I said, you know, eat dinner with your wife. You know, let her go to bed. You know, take a nap during the day, that day, the previous day. You know, try to sleep during the day go in there and in case you can't sleep on the limb you'll be ready when the sun comes up and they come through man man we're gonna try it. I'm, I'm 
I'm going to see if he'll do it. I'm, we're going. And it worked. It, it worked. Oh, man. Yes, sir, it worked. What did that buck end up scoring? Low 160s. Low I 160s. mean, yeah, it wasn't a booner, but you know what? That's an awesome guy buck. guy still hadn't killed a bigger buck than that to this day, you know. Uh, but, boy, when they called me, man, you want to talk about some guys. I couldn't even understand them on the damn phone. They was both screaming and hollering, so, you know, through the phone. <laughs> I'm like, what happened? What happened? Oh, my God, you know, he's going. I saw, I, hell, at first, I thought they both got one. They were so yeah. crazy, you know. But, so that's another experience, you know, where I gave somebody some kind of a. Uh, well, I, those cool. are some cool stories, and I and I hope, I hope that the listeners can, uh, can listen and can learn something from that because I'm not I'm not, I'm not saying you sp- all that, but spend the night and every every night in a tree. But right. you know, if you're on one and you know what he's doing and you've got him on a pattern, do whatever it takes. That's what I feel like. Well, you're saying. that's what the, the moral of the story is. You'll do what it takes if you want to kill a big bug. You know, within certain boundaries, the law, obviously, the legalities of it. But I didn't know of anything, you know, with the law saying that you couldn't strap into a tree and sleep all night. You know, and yeah, and there is. I, I hope there's not. You know, uh, I hadn't heard anything, and, and and like I said, they were successful. I can honestly tell you that I've never done that for deer, but I did it for turkey, and it worked. Uh, so I, I I told them that's what I do, and I would have if that's the only choice I had. But around here, I don't have all that industry and subdivisions and all that stuff locking these deer in to where they only bed in this one particular area, and you're only going to be able to get in one way and only going to come through at one particular you know that doesn't mean it can't happen though right you know that's right that's right i'm and, not uh, i'm just saying that worked you know? so we're running up on about an hour and 15 minutes now and uh well, how long is this it, thing supposed to last? it's been good it's supposed to last until this last question okay i got one last question for you all right and uh it's a doozy oh, okay well, we might just end that podcast <laughs> so to get worried so um Sorry if you're listening, Mark Kenyon. I'm gonna steal a page out of your book, but I gotta ask this question to Matt Jackson because I feel like uh, he may not be a popular, well-known hunter like the ones you ask. But uh, this one's a good one. So, Matt, I uh, I'm gonna tell you that uh, you can you can hunt one day out of the season, and. Uh, during that one day, you have to kill a mature, at least, you know, four-year-old buck uh, on that day. Um, if you don't, I take away your bow for ten years. You can't have it back. Can't shoot Can't shoot deer no more. Uh, and your gun, too, because I know that's what you'd swing. Uh, so, you don't have a gun. You don't have a bow for the next ten years. You're going to choose one place to hunt. That's the same as putting me in prison. And uh, one day of the year, what's your setup look like? What day are you choosing to kill this mature four-and-a-half-year-old buck? Um, well, here's the thing. You, you say, what's my setup look like, blah, blah, blah. I, 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 first thing I'm going to tell you is I didn't. I don't dictate that. Okay? The buck does. Sure. I, okay? Because I'm going to take, take the first day of the season. September fifteenth in yeah, Missouri. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take September fifteenth. Okay. And uh, what? I mean, and if I didn't take September fifteenth, then I would have. To, I would. I would pick. You know, one of the days in the first week of November. Okay. 
Okay. And, and, and here's the thing. How do I have to pick that day now or can I pick it as the season goes because, you know, or as I, as I near September 15th because... Uh, it ain't... I mean, you're picking it right now. I mean, I'm talking about if it, say you ask me this. Okay, well, obviously I'm with... I'm before September 15th. I'm just saying... Um, you done all your scouting. If uh, I got a big buck paid, I'm picking... I'm And I got the time. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill him September 15th. Right on. And uh, where are you going to kill him at? How's your setup look? Well, once again, I know you say you, the he buck dictates, dictates it. Right, because I got to find him sure, first. Sure, So but, then that's going to dictate that setup because depending on what he's coming into and how he's coming into it, I've got to get the right wind direction because although I believe 100% in these no-sense suits and I, I do think they, I know they work. I'm not thinking to it. I know they work if you do everything properly, but I might slip up or fail to do this, that, or the other or, or have something. I still hunt with the wind. I still try to hunt with the wind all the time. Now, there's times when I may push it a little bit when the wind's questionable and because I have the suit and I believe in it and, and it works. And I always have him downwind of me, so you ask, why do I do that? I don't know. I guess just for because if I know he's there and I'm not just out hunting hoping he comes through in the rut, I know he's there. I want every advantage. I, I don't want anything that can go wrong to go wrong. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt with the wind and a no sense suit in the field he comes from. Um, I want to be 20 to 25 feet high. Um, nowadays I'm usually about 20 feet high. That's my platform, and I I have my bow rope cut to the proper length so that when I'm using those strap-on steps or any kind of steps where you know they sell screwing steps nowadays I also have some of the steps that uh, strap on that come in sections of like three um, so all of those things can make noise have scent on that I, I you know but I mean I store all that stuff even in, in no scent black trash bags and and all that so that they don't from the get to I wash all the straps that connect them and hold them um, okay but I'm gonna be sliding in there uh, I'm gonna be putting those up my bow ropes gonna be the length that I can I use a clip so that clip is tied on it's hooked to my bow and then it's gonna be 20 feet so that when I'm climbing and I'm strapping on those steps and I'm going up that rope when it pulls against my waist I know that that's where my platform needs to go. So then I'm the same height that I've been practicing at all summer. And so everything is correct. You know, you, you know, you get too high and your arrow has a different angle on it than it does at 20 feet or shooting from the ground. You know, obviously shooting from the ground, you're gonna have a better trajectory and have a better kill zone going through a deer. Um, than getting elevated, but if you if you get too high elevated, your your window just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But I found that if I shoot from a 20 foot platform, and I'm shooting at deer that are 20 yards, is where I like to try to get them to come. Um, then my kill zone is, is is fine, and everything works out great. So I'm going to be 20 feet up a tree. I'm going to be downwind of this deer where I've seen it. Uh, come time and time again and nowadays uh, it's probably going to be from using a camera um, they even have the cameras that you don't even have to get close to you know you set the cameras up you know several of them 
ahead of time so you don't have to go back in there and sync the place up. You just have you can pull it up on your cell phone and you can see this deer is doing this time and time again, whether it's like I said at the beginning of this deal, you know, every day, every day, or if it's every third day, or if it's every, you know, but they usually have a pretty, pretty good pattern, you know, in that early season. Early season. Now, the older they get, the less predictable that pattern is, and the less that pattern is, but they still have to eat, and they still sleep somewhere, and they still are creatures of habit. And they're still, they're very intelligent creatures of habit, though. And they have a nose that that knows, you know. It's very hard to defeat. So um, I'm going to try to use everything to my benefit, Stephen, from yeah, going in well, to the a, waterway. That's a fair enough answer, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And let me just tell you the reason I picked the 15th is because it gives me time to find that bucks and know his pattern and all that. But if I didn't get to do that and I had to pick a day that's why I said that first week in November you know or even in late October if you have a great pre-rut going on and deer are on the move you know that's when you're going to see a lot of bucks and you get to sort through those bucks and um, a lot of them you're going to know from looking at pictures of your you know from your cameras and so on and so forth but you you see a lot more bucks at that time of the year September 15th is not going to be that time of year that I'm going to be sorting through those bucks and have multiple bucks going by me in one day when I said from before daylight until it's going to be less random chance it's more of a a chess game in the early season so if I if I didn't pick that and I picked November say 7th and I sit there I'm going to be there from before daylight until after dark and if I'm in the right spot and I'm in a pinch point I'm in a between a couple bedding areas and you know I've totally abandoned food unless it's to focus on where the does are eating and then I'm looking at multiple bucks you know for that right. success higher know. probability right well so it's different hunts those, those are fantastic answers and I don't know about all that but I, I hope it helps somebody it's you know? going to help a lot and so. you know I know you know we've had did an intro and you know he said things that you know try to pump me up and, and make me sound good you know i'm just the average guy out here that fell in love with a, a wonderful sport if you will um, but something that i found brings people together uh, builds friendships the camaraderie you know or spending time with your family like my buddy and his son you know I mean, this guy's overseas, you know, he's fighting for us, and, and he's gone away from his family for months at a time, and he's looking for a way to reconnect, and he found it through archery. That's you awesome. Know? So um, that's yeah. all That's all I, I, I claim to be, is just an average guy out here doing something I love to do. And if you love to do something and you do it enough and you really care about it, you're going to get better at it. Well, hopefully everybody can get a little bit better after listening to this podcast so man i just want to say i appreciate you coming on you bet and uh i look forward to any other podcast we can do with you in the future yeah it's been good steven thank you for having me i'd ask you how we can reach you but i know how that goes (laughs) and uh listen guys you ain't gonna reach him this is the only time you're gonna get to hear it's an exclusive thing um so enjoy it listen it maybe listen to it twice Uh, But thanks for listening nonetheless, and we'll see you on the next one.